This message was recorded live at Elevate Church in Erie, Pennsylvania. As followers of Christ, we follow a God who was crucified, dead, buried, got up, walked out of the tomb, demonstrating that there's nothing that you and I can't walk out of. He doesn't love me based on my performance. God loves me based on my position. It matters so much that we imitate Christ and we live out those principles. There's nothing that you could do. There's, there's no great sin that you could have ever committed that would be a barrier between you and Jesus. To learn more about Elevate, how you can get connected, or how you can support the work that Elevate is doing in Erie, visit elevatechurch.com. All right, this is going to be spooky and super weird. No, it's not. Hey, I'm really excited, though, about what we're going to dive into over the next four weeks. Um, really, this, this whole talk, this whole series on the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost, depending on how maybe you were raised or brought up in church, we're going to start with God's Word in Acts chapter 19. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and bust that out to Acts chapter 19. While you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of context. The New Testament starts with four accounts of the life of Jesus. These are known as the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they talk about Jesus' birth, his ministry, and then they talk about his death and resurrection. But then the fifth book in the New Testament is Acts. And Acts is all about uh, the historical record of the early church. And so that's what we're going to look at. And right from the start, Acts begins with all this talk about the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. And here we are starting in Acts chapter 19, which represents decades into the movement of the early church. And look what they're still talking about. Acts chapter 19, starting in verse One, if you have your Bibles, we'll put it up on the screen right here. It says this. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth. Actually, let's time out, time out. Hold on, hold on. This isn't working for me. This is a ghost stories series. And I'm just getting the kind of wrong vibe. So let's let's kind of switch gears a little bit real quick. Let's let's try this again. Here we go. I'm feeling this, I'm feeling this. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul having passed through the upper coast came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, have ye received the Holy Ghost? Since ye believed, and they said to him, we haven't even heard so much whether there is a ghost. All right, that's better. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> Actually, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says in this, this verse, Paul, you know, he's talking to some, some believers. And he's like, hey, did you receive the Holy Ghost? If you're reading in the, the King James Version or any other version, it's going to say the Spirit. Did you receive the Holy Spirit? And here's what they said. We didn't even know. Like, we had no idea there was even a Holy Spirit. And that's why we're starting here. Because the reality is the same is true for many of us today. Like, I believe a lot of people in this room, you love God. You're going you're gonna to go to heaven. But when it comes to the Holy Ghost, right, you have questions. You have reservations. You have 
concerns. And honestly, I think the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, has been given a bad rap. People are, are uh, afraid of him. People, you know, there's maybe this bad theology. Maybe you've had a negative experience. Maybe you've seen something, you know, on television or you watch some, you know, weird preacher with big hair, you know, kind of casting demons out of people. I don't know, but you've seen all these things. And so you have, this morning, reservations. You have concerns. In fact, you believe that if you're going to get involved in this whole thing, then one of two things is going to happen. Either you're going to have to wear a lot of makeup or no makeup at all, right? And so we have all these kinds of questions about the Holy Ghost. And we have these ideas that really aren't true. And so here's what I'm asking of you. I'm asking that if you were ever going to commit to like perfect attendance in a, in a series, commit to this one. Like give me four weeks to unpack, four weeks to explain and for us to learn about the person, not an it, not a ghost, but the person of the Holy Spirit and how important he really is to your life. Because here's what I believe, if we can like de-spookify this, if we can demystify this, if we can um, maybe get rid of some of the man-made packaging that he's been presented in or some of the sensationalism that's been associated with the Holy Spirit, that your life, that my life would be exponentially better because of it. And honestly, that's my job. My job as a pastor, as a shepherd, really is to, to lead you and feed you, go from one hill to the next hill and, and eating some good grass along the way and growing. And that's really the goal for us to go on this journey together. So I'm asking you that you would approach these next four weeks, uh, commit to being here, all right? Just let's have perfect attendance and also approach it with a blank page. No matter what your ideas are, Maybe no matter the bad and negative experiences that you've had in the past, we've all had them. I've certainly had them, you know, as it relates to this. Like, no matter what, just start with a blank page because the reality is this is something we desperately need in our lives. And so I want to introduce you to them today. We're going to take like a 30,000-foot view. Then we're really going to dive in over the next several weeks. We're going to talk about gifts. We're going to talk about tongues. Yeah, we're going to go there. It's going to be awesome. We're going to talk about all different kinds of things associated with the Holy Ghost. But first, let's talk about the word Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost. It's translated in your Bible in two different uh, ways, as spirit or ghost. And if you wanna go back through all the times, 800 plus times that that word is mentioned in the Bible, you have to look in two different languages, in the original Hebrew and also in the Greek. Your Old Testament is written in Hebrew, and the Hebrew word for spirit or ghost is the word, look at it right here, ruach. Everybody say that. Ruach. Yeah, it's going to be class participation today. Ruach, and you have to say it like that, like, like, like you're going to hawk a loogie or something, you know, in the back of your throat. All my rednecks know what I'm talking about, like ruach kind of thing. And ruach doesn't mean ghost. It doesn't mean spirit. It doesn't mean anything that you have to be afraid of. Look what ruach means, a wind, a breath. It means a violent exhalation, this blast of breath, ruach. And that helps us understand a little bit of the nature of the Holy Spirit. In fact, the first time he's referenced in Scripture is in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. It says this, Now the earth was formless and empty, 
Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the spirit, the ruach of God, the breath, the wind of God that has the power in it to create the entire world, the breath of God. It says the breath of God was hovering over the waters. Here's how important this is. It's in the second verse of your Bible. The breath of God hovering over the waters. Let's look at the New Testament. New Testament, the Greek word is this word right here. Everybody say it out loud. Panuma. No, it's just pneuma. You're right. You were right. We got a smart crew here. And pneuma, you can see the root word, you know, anything to do with with kind of lungs. You have pneumonia, right? That's an infection that you have in the lungs or uh, pneuma, you know, is that, that anything that has to do with that. And so again, the word doesn't mean spirit or ghost. Look what the word means. It means a current of air, a blast of breath, this strong breeze. So now we understand a little bit of the dilemma that the English translators had because there's not really a good word for, for this word, not a good English translation. We couldn't say, all right, well, we know this is God, you know, but we, we can't call God air. We can't call God breath, right? We're not going to say Father, Son, and Holy Breath. That would be super weird. So we're not going to do that. Let's look at in the New Testament, um, one of the places this word is used, John chapter 6, verse 63. This is Jesus. He says, the words I have spoken to you are pneuma, our spirit, our breath, our strong wind, this breeze, and they are life. It says this breath, this word brings life, meaning the words on the pages of this book, they aren't just normal words. They are the very breath of God. They give us life. And honestly, that's, that's what I want you to experience in the next four weeks. The, the breath of God, the, the, the life that's available to us so that our faith is not stale, so that our, our, our walk with, with God is not just this robotic, kind of systematic, kind of rote thing, but it has breath and it has life inside of it. And honestly, far too many of you and me, a lot of times are running our race without the very breath of God. So no wonder you're tired. No wonder you're exhausted. Maybe no wonder many times during the week you just beat your head up against the wall and you're trying to figure stuff, stuff out because we have this, this ruach, we have this pneuma, we have this, this breath, this life that's available to us, but we've left it on the pages of history or we've left it in the songs that we sing in church. So we'll come in church, sing the songs about the spirit, and then we'll leave the door and it never really impacts us. And so I don't want that to happen. I want us to have a different experience over the next for weeks. And so in order to understand this a little better, the, the ruach, the, the pneuma, this breath, let's talk about, let's talk about wind. And let's draw some parallels because, you know, talking about wind is not near as scary as talking about a ghost, a holy ghost or, you know, the Holy Spirit. And a lot of times we've, we just translate it wrong. So this is not something we have to be afraid of. It doesn't have to be spooky or kooky or, or weird kind of stuff, but something that we desperately need. So like wind, write it down, is unseen. He's unseen, but not unfelt. So like wind, you, you, can't, you can't see it, but you can feel it. Everybody do this right now. Do this right now. Do this to your neighbor. But don't smack him in the face. Don't smack him in the face. But you can feel that. 
You can't see this breeze that's hitting you, but you certainly can feel it. You walk outside these doors today, you might even say, man, that feels good. Like you might get a breeze, you know, that comes over. You go down to Presque Isle where it's always windy, right? You just, you go down there, the breeze hits you, and you might even say that those words might come out of your mouth. That feels good. That feels refreshing. But, and nobody thinks that's weird, but if you were to come in here and say that about your experience with God, they'd be like, what are you talking about? If you were to say, you know what, that felt good. I just needed that. That was refreshing. would be like, what did you feel? I didn't feel anything. What did you feel? You know, weirdo? Like, we, that's weird for us. But it's this, this breeze, this, this breath of fresh air. No one's freaked out when you talk about a wind outside, but when you talk about this inside feeling that you have. And so the pushback is, so what are you telling me? Colby, that I, should, I should base my faith on my feelings, on just what I feel? No, I would never say that. Or you say, you know, I just I need to run my, my faith on my feelings? No. But God's presence is to be felt. I would never tell you to run on your feelings, but sometimes it sure is good to feel what you're running on. Like sometimes, you know, you, well, my wife, she knows I love her. You know, we're married together. You know, she knows I, I love her. But it sure is good to sometimes feel that. And she wants to feel that. And so I think God wants us to experience his presence in our Life And my prayer for you, by the way, every single week is not that you'd walk through these doors and that, that you would be impressed by video or lights or, or the music or the, the incredible messages that you get every single week. That's, that's my prayer. Not that that would impress you. You weren't supposed to laugh at that. <laughs> but that you would have a moment, like one single moment during during a message or during a song, one single moment in the parking lot where you go, oh my God, you're here. And his presence is felt in your life. That's what we need. That's what we're looking for. Look at John 14, 15, and 16. Um, this is a conversation that Jesus is having between him and his disciples. And this is known as kind of the, the last supper. You know, this is the final meal that they would share together before going to the cross. So anything that Jesus would have to say in this moment would be super important. And the vast majority of this conversation is about the Holy Spirit. This is what he says. He says, look, guys, I'm going to go away. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die for your sins. I'm going to die for the sins of the world. You know, I'm going to be crucified, dead, buried. I'm going to be raised back to life, and I'm going to sit at the right hand of the Father. In fact, if some of you are like, you know, what is Jesus doing right now? What he's doing right now is sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding on your behalf and my behalf. That's what he's doing. He says, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not just going away. In fact, he says, it's better that I go because I'm going to send another. Look at John 14, starting in verse 16, he says, and I will ask the Father... And he will give you something else, someone else, an advocate. Maybe your version says a counselor or a comforter. And look, his job is not to be spooky. His job is not to just freak you out. His job is to help you. He's going to help you. He's going to be with you forever. Now watch this. The world, though, is going to laugh at you. The world is not going to be able to wrap their minds around it because they can't see him Accept him because they neither see him or know him. Because people are only comfortable with stuff that they can see or stuff that they can wrap their mind 
around. And they can't handle this part of God that's only felt. And there's a lot of people, I think, that are going to church that just reject this whole side, the Holy Spirit, because our our brains can't register this. And he says, but that's not true with you. You know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. You can't see him, but you can feel him. Unseen, but not unfelt. My personal belief is that's why you come to church. Because you knew that you could come through these doors after maybe a stale week, after a dead week, after a week of just, man, frustration, and you could get a little wind, a little breath of God put back in your sails. Something that you desperately need, you know, for your life. The last thing a lot of you in this room need is another explanation of who God is. You need an experience with God. And I'm just trying to help us understand and draw some parallels between the Holy Spirit and when. So number two is this, because this just helps us get a better idea of who he is. When, like wind, he cannot be confined or predicted. Write that down. Cannot be confined or predicted. Wind shifts, wind blows, it's, one, it's blowing one direction at a time and then another direction at another time. That's why they have the, the flags on the goalposts. I don't know if you're watching college football or, or NFL today, but you'll notice that on the goalposts, they have those flags that lets the kickers know, like in the moment, which way the wind is going. And the truth is, a lot of us don't like this part of God. We like an explainable God. We like a predictable God. We like our God, you know, able to like be put in a box. And if you like a predictable, you know, kind of confined God, can I tell you something? This is going to mess you up because you can't confine him. You can't predict him because God doesn't do everything the same way every single time. Do you know why? Because if he did then you would start worshiping the system of God rather than God himself. You'd start, you'd start worshiping an experience that you had with God. And this is what happens all the time. People have this experience with God, and they're like, man, the experience, that was it. When we sang that one song during that one weekend in church, that was it. I got the Holy Ghost goosebumps. That's it. That's what it's like. And if you don't feel the same way, then you didn't experience the, the same God that I did. And we, we relegate God to an experience. And we make these experiences indispensable principles. And that's why lines are drawn. Denominations are formed. Did you know denominations were formed a lot of times based on one person's experience with God? But it doesn't work that way. You can't predict God. It's not all about one experience. Yes, we do have um, fundamental, indispensables, those are called our statement of faith, that, that are, are truths that are foundational to what we believe. But we also know that we have this unpredictable God that we embrace and that we welcome, you know, in our, our lives. Jesus said this in John 3, 8, that the wind, and that's the, the, the time that the translators actually use the right word, the, the pneuma, the wind, the breath of God, blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. You can't confine him to an experience. You can't predict him. This unpredictable nature of God. Here's what that means. Has God ever spoken to anyone in this room out of a burning bush? Yes or no? Raise your hand if he has. 
He hasn't. Because if he did, we'd have heard about it on Facebook. Or we would have seen it on YouTube, right? Six trillion views of God, you know, speaking to someone out of a burning bush. He only did that one time. One time. But what if Moses had gone back to all those people and said, hey, 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 this is how God speaks. He just speaks in burning bushes. And if it wasn't a burning bush, then that wasn't God. No, we can't do that. We can't confine God to one way. One time, Jesus healed a couple of guys um, that were blind by touching their eyes. And another time, a blind guy comes up to Jesus, and his disciples go, okay, well, Jesus is going to do the system. He's going to touch their eyes, because that's what he does. He touches the eyes, and that heals them. So go ahead, Jesus, do the hand thing, and open the guy's eyes. And Jesus was like, oh, you think it's the system. You think that, you know, it's the special move that when I snap my fingers and spin around three times and touch his eyes, that's what does it. And they thought it was the, the system. And Jesus, knowing that, I believe, he didn't heal him that way. He actually spit in some dirt, made some mud, and put it on the dude's eyes. And I can imagine the disciples in that moment are going, that's nasty. Is that the new system? Because we don't like that system. That's a gross system, right? Jesus knew that. Like, they, they thought it was the system. They thought it was the, the special move. And so he said, no, it's not it. That's not how we do it. We have to be careful, church, not to confine God to our own comprehension. We have to be careful not to worship a system, not to worship someone else's experience, maybe not to even worship our own singular experience that, that happened. In fact, I'll say this, like we need, we need a revival in America like never before. Like it's filled with hate, and evil and shootings. Like we need to be awakened to the things of God, but can I tell you something? It's not gonna come because we confine God to our own comprehension. It's not gonna come because we relegate God to just what we can understand. If it's all about our own understanding, we're in big trouble. It's not about what we know, but it's about God. It's about his presence, even in unpredictable ways. And it's also about, write it down, his power. Like wind, he's powerful. Wind is powerful. Wind can generate electricity. Wind can, you know, power sailboats. Wind uh, can destroy cities like we've seen recently too with Her Irma and, and Harvey. Like wind is powerful. Here in Erie, we have something called the Brig Niagara. Anybody ever been on the Brig Niagara? Raise your hand. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's this tall ship. It's this huge ship that's powered by Wind. Like, it's unbelievable that, that wind can power something, propel something, like hundreds of thousands of pounds. The Brig Niagara weighs 302 tons. So 600,000, 604,000 pounds. I just did the math in my head like that. I'm just a, I'm like rain man up here. Just kidding. <laughs> now I worked that out earlier. In fact, I had my wife work that out for me earlier. <laughs> but that's crazy. I've been, watching, I've been watching this Viking documentary recently, like, not like Minnesota Vikings, but like Viking Vikings, like, ah, Viking Viking kind of people. Um, and they, they built these long ships that had, had sails, and they also had oars. And what I noticed was they never went nearly as far or as fast when they were rowing as when they were sailing. And I thought about that. And I think that applies to many of our lives. Some of us today, all we're doing is rowing when we could be 
or should be sailing. You're rowing when you should be sailing. Maybe you're rowing in your marriage and it's just this one battle after the other battle and you're, you're working hard, you're, you're pulling hard, your hands are calloused and cracked and bleeding. And let me tell you something, I'm not saying you should never row in your marriage. Yes, you should. There will be times that you need to row. It's not always fun. It's not always easy. There will be times to row, but it could be that sometimes, like, instead of all the other stuff, you, you, you could be sailing in your marriage. You could be allowing the, the Spirit of God to fill you, and you could be practicing the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control. Like, all of that would help as well. You could be sailing. Maybe you're, you're rowing in your business, Sun up to sundown, you're just, you're grinding away, you're, you're sweating, you know, away, and nothing replaces hard work, but maybe instead of rowing, you should be uh, sailing along with God and all that God wants to do in and through you in your work, in your business, to make it as fruitful as he wants it. Some of us just need to, like, lay down the oars and raise the sails and stop rowing and start sailing. Because just like wind is essential to propel ships forward, the Holy Spirit is essential to propel you forward too. In your marriage, in your business, in your, your, your living a Christ-centered life, it's there to help us. Here's what I know. Someone here today, you are facing something that no human power can fix. You are facing something that no matter how hard you row, no matter how hard you pull, you're not going to be able to fix it. And how sorry would a great and awesome and powerful God be if we simply relegate our lives to the only the stuff that we can handle? Look at what Acts 1 says. says, you will receive power. Some of you, you, you need a new power. You need a new strength for the fight that you are facing. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you know what I say to that? Personally, I say bring it on. Bring it on because there are things in my life that I can't fix, that no human strength can fix, that I can't handle on my own. Man, lay down the roars. Stop rowing. Start sailing. Start sailing. Allow the, the breath of God to fill you. Allow the breath of God to put wind back in your sails and propel you forward. Look at what 1 Corinthians 2, 9 says. says, if your eye could see everything that God wanted for you, wouldn't believe it. You couldn't handle it. And your ear, no ear is heard. No mind can even conceive what God has prepared for those who love him. But, watch this, he does want you to get it. He wants you to give it to you. How? He has revealed it to us by his spirit. That's why we're going on this journey. This four-week kind of journey where you can put some wind back in your, your sails. And listen, I'm probably like the majority of you in this room. I've had to overcome my own negative experiences, my own negative list of what the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost is in my life. And I'm just asking us just to take a deep breath and allow God, uh, Spirit, to speak to us. And I promise you, if you do, your life will be so much Better. In fact, here's what the Bible says, Ephesians 4.30. Let's not reject this. Don't reject something that God has given us. Don't grieve God. Don't break his heart. His Holy Spirit moving and breathing in you is, and I would say to many of you, could be, 
It can be the most important, intimate part of your life, making you fit for himself. So don't take this for granted. Now you might say, all right, well, all right, Colby, I'm in. How, how, how do I not take him for granted? Three things and I'm done. I want you to write these down. For the next four weeks, suspend your fears and misperceptions. Go ahead and just lay those aside. Go ahead and lay those misperceptions, those fears aside that really maybe aren't even based on the Bible. And to some degree, we all have those. Instead, here's what I'm asking you to do. Not even take my word for this. Don't trust Colby, but take God's word for this. Start with a blank page and just see what God says. And you're going to realize that through his word, this is neither outdated or unbiblical. You're going to realize through his word that this isn't spooky. It's not kooky. It doesn't have to be weird that God's not going to make you do weird stuff, put you in trances, or make you bark like dogs. It's not going to do that, all right? Like just, let's just trust God at his word. And here's my encouragement. Proverbs 3, 5 says this, trust God. Just trust him. He's not against you. He's for you. And everything that he has for you is good. And so the Holy Spirit is good. It's for your benefit. Trust God from the bottom of your heart and don't try to figure out everything on your own. You can trust God. And the second thing I would ask you to do is to go all in. Just go all in. And here's why I say that. This is my, this is my little soapbox moment, all right? Every Sunday, I got to have at least one, so here it is. And you're going to have to go ahead and forgive me in advance for this. In fact, that's in God's word too. Forgive your pastor before he says something that's going to offend you. So that's in there. People all the time will make a commitment to follow Jesus. And they'll say, all right, I'm going to go all in with Jesus, and then they'll come to church maybe once, maybe twice a month. And here's what they'll say. I'm going to go all in with Jesus as long as it fits in my schedule. As long as it doesn't mess with any other area of my life. And um, with all due respect, I think we just have different ideas of what all in looks like. Like I said, go all in. You're never going to experience all that God has for you by going into this halfway. You just can't do it. And honestly, this is where you're going to have to forgive me. I don't even understand that approach. I, don't, I, don't, I can't even fathom that because with the moment that I surrender my life to follow Jesus, of course, it's a process. Like, you're not perfect. Like, it's, it's going to be this learning process. But the moment I decided to do that, I didn't even think about not going to church. I didn't even think about not using my gifts to serve God. I didn't even think about not tithing and and returning God like what he's given me in the first place. It wasn't even a thought. And if you're going to discover all that God has for you, you got to stop testing God and start trusting God. You got to stop tipping God and you got to start taking God at his word and just go all in. Some of us need to go all in. I'm telling you, you're never going to get this. You're never going to fully experience all of this until you dive all in. And again, don't take my word. Jeremiah 29, 13 says this, you will seek me and you will find me conditionally when you seek me with all your heart. When you go all in. So here's what that means. That means you saying, all right, well, you know what? If, 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 if pastor says that, that being in a group is important to my life, I'm going to get in a group. In fact, you have the opportunity to do that today right after the worship experience. 
if that's important for accountability and growing in my faith, that, that circles are better than rows and we can speak into each other's life, then count me and I'm in a group. Well, if, if Colby says that serving is great for the church, but it's also great for me, that I'm never more like Jesus than when I serve, then count me in. I'm, I'm serving. I'm all in. My prayer is that you would take, just take one season like this church operates in seasons, much like you do in your life. Take one season, and you just experience everything that we have to offer. You go to church. You, you jump in and, and give. You jump in and serve. You go to crash course. You do everything. And here's my promise to you. It will change your life for the better. And if it doesn't, if I'm a liar, then you and I will both pack up and go to another church, all right? I'm, I'll go with you. But I won't have to because the people that go all in, and you know what, I, here's what I don't mean by all in. Kristen and I, um, we are that couple in our neighborhood. We have single-handedly lowered the property values of the homes around us <laughs> by erecting an above-ground pool because we're partially redneck, and that's okay. I'm good with that, all right, just so you know. So in our backyard, right, we got an above-ground pool, and we have a trampoline. And we got our washing machine on the front yard. No, I'm just kidding. We don't have that yet. <laughs> But we got a trampoline and our, our pool. And so there's not a lot of yard back there, which is awesome because of the less yard that Kristen has to mow. And so I'm good with that, right? <laughs> kind of kidding, kind of not about that. <laughs> you could just ask her. But here's my problem. I always wait until like, like it starts to get cold before I close that thing for the summer. I always wait until it's too long and then I get in the pool and it's freezing. It's like polar bears are going, I'm not getting in that thing. That thing's freezing. So I always wait too long except this year. Like this year I closed that thing before Labor Day and then guess what? It's like 90 <laughs> and 80. I'm like, I'm just, I just can't get this right. But here's why I say all that. Have you ever tried to get into a cold pool? Like there are two ways to get into a cold pool. One way is torture. One way, you start like, like just towing the water a little bit. You're like, oh, that's cold, right? I don't want to get in that. It's cold. And then you get your toe in, and then you get down to one step, and you're like, that's cold. And then you take one more step, and guys know more what I'm talking about, and you get waist deep, and you're like, freezing. Like you are torturing yourself. And can I tell you something? If you are waist deep in a pool and it's cold, you are for sure peeing in that pool, all right? <laughs> because you're hot up top and you're cold down below, all right? And that's, that's, you're just peeing, all right? I just know you are. Spiritually speaking, some of us need to quit peeing in the pool. <laughs> I mean that. Because you're in halfway. And there's something exhilarating about just jumping in. Maybe you don't see the bottom. Maybe you don't know how cold it is. Maybe you don't know what to expect. Maybe it's a shock to your system. But there's something about going all in, both feet, just saying, you know what, God? Here's the prayer that you need to learn to pray. And I want to give you an opportunity to do it before we even close today. God, if you have something for me that I don't have right now, I want it. I'll take it. Like anything that you have, if it's for my benefit, like I want it. If there's another level of communication, if there's a deeper level of, of, of freedom from temptation in my life, if, if I just have a better understanding of who you are in my spirit, I want that. Just go all in.
And then the last thing I would tell you to do, number three, is this, develop an intimate friendship with the Holy Spirit. A friendship with him, because honestly, this is his role in your life. God the Father has a role to play in your life. God the Son, Jesus, he has another role to play in your life. And the Holy Spirit also has a role to play in your life. And we need all three of these roles. In fact, the band's going to come out. We're, we're ending a little early. We're actually not ending. But we're going to play a song in just a moment. And we're going to give you an opportunity to respond to maybe what God is speaking in your heart. And to be able to pray that prayer. All right, God, if you got something for me, give it to me. But I first want to read you this benediction. It's this beautiful benediction. Um, benedictions are often found at the end of these letters that Paul would write to these churches. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 14, it says this. It defines these, these three roles that we desperately need. Paul says, all right, let the amazing grace of the master Jesus Christ, let the extravagant love of God and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. Here's what I think, and I could be wrong, but I don't think I am. A lot of us, we get this love of God. You've owned that. You've received that. You understand the love of God, the Father. Maybe some of you don't. Maybe some of you are, are comparing it to your Heavenly Father. Can we leave that back up there? Maybe some of you are comparing that to the love of, of your father and you're, you're trying to reconcile that. And I, and I pray that today you do that. You have that moment where you settle this and you understand God's love for you. And then some of us, we know the grace of Jesus Christ. We know that, that Jesus, you know, gave his life for us. And that it's our, it's, it's our faith uh, in him that saves us. It's grace through faith. So, so we get that. Maybe you've received that. But I think here's where many of us fall short is the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit. Not understanding that he's always with you, not understanding that he wants to strengthen you and empower you, that he's way more powerful than we are on our own. So write this down and then I'll have you put your notes down and pray. But here's the roles. God, he loves me. God loves you. How much does he love you? that he gave everything for you through Jesus who saves me. Jesus saves you. And the Bible tells us the moment you call on his name and you say you surrender your life because he died for you is that you will be saved, you'll be rescued, you'll be set free. But I think that's where a lot of us stop. We have this duality. We know God the Father, we know God the Son, but the Spirit is with me. Bow your head, close your eyes, and stand to your feet. God, in this moment, just want to create some space. Many of us in this room, we need that wind back in our lungs. We need you to put it back in our sails today. And so we ask, God, that there, if, if there's something else that you have for us, another a level of, of maybe commitment and trust, just power and strength that's available. God, we want it. We'll take all of it in Jesus' name.
Amen. We are always encouraged to know that God is using Elevate to bless people's lives. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, share your story online at elevatechurch.com. 